Welcome to Dead Boffin Spies, a Star Wars podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Daly, and I'm thrilled to finally welcome Kyle Benning to the show. How are you, Kyle? I'm good. How are you? I'm very, very good. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. It's about time. And the reason I said I'm finally getting Kyle on the show, folks, is that we started talking about Star Wars and doing an episode together a long time ago. In fact, I went back through our Facebook Messenger chat. We started talking about you appearing back on May 19th. And for those of you listening right now, Kyle and I are recording this on August 18th. So almost three months to the day it took us, well, I should say it took me to get my crap together uh, and schedule this chat. Does it feel like it's been that long? (laughs) No, it doesn't. That's kind of flown by. God, that would have been right around, uh, I guess, the, the Conway crossover time. It was, yeah, it was right around then. We did have a good chat back in May, kind of outlined a lot of the stuff that we will be talking about upcoming. Um, We found out that we had a lot in common. We both love Star Wars, obviously, um, but we share an interest in a lot of 80s sort of toy cartoon properties like G.I. Joe. Of course, that helps because we're now both part of G.I. Joe, a real American headcast with Aaron Moss. We're both from the Midwest. We're both Chicago sports fans. But I went to the University of Iowa, and Kyle went to Iowa State. Ooh, dreaded and, rivals. And that's really why we didn't talk again for three months. <laughs> yep. Because Iowa State sucks and go Hawkeyes. Oh, my God. <laughs> that school's a shithole. <laughs> so is that town. <laughs> now, for uh, – see, in Iowa, we don't have a single, like, major league professional team. Right. Uh, the closest, we have uh, a couple USHL uh, hockey teams. At one time, we had a uh, – kind of a, a minor league hockey team, I guess, and the, the Iowa Hogs, which was like a farm team mm-hmm, for uh, mm-hmm. the Dallas Stars. And then we have the uh, AAA Iowa Cubs. Right. But since we don't have any major league teams, we just go nuts for our college football rivalry. The last couple of years, your, your basketball teams have pretty much done a number on mine. So. Yep. <laughs> uh, anyway, folks, hey, by the way, I don't know if you caught the implication. I said we're recording this on August 18th. Well, The Force Awakens comes out on December 18th. We're Ooh. only four months away from the new movie. So by the time you're probably listening to this episode, it'll be even less than that. So are you ready for the new Star Wars movie, Kyle? I am ready for it. I've kind of been keeping away from it, not reading too much info, uh, just watching the the trailers and that kind of behind-the-scenes mm-hmm. thing that came out of uh, San Diego Comic-Con. And so I, I want to go into it surprised or excited with the wonderment of a child instead of uh, being depressed and cynical, as often happens when I go into uh, movies nowadays that I have a lot of initial interest in and read a lot about, 
like uh, Man of Steel, and then yeah. get epically disappointed inside the door. So yeah. trying to avoid that here. I'm just going to go in and no baggage attached and uh, try to enjoy it as best I can. I'm looking forward to it a lot. How did you first become a Star Wars fan? My earliest Star Wars memory, uh, the first movie I would have remembered seeing was Return of the Jedi, and that one sticks out because of the Gamorrean guards in that <laughs> being pigs, and we had pigs on our farm. And so uh, I was probably two or three, and I remember seeing that. And from then, I enjoyed it. Uh, from then on, Star Wars kind of became my uh, that thing with the pig guys in it <laughs> for a while. And then I was probably four or five. So I was born in 1987. So after all the movies would have had their initial run. And so when I was four or five, so 90, 91-ish, mm-hmm. I was at uh, the babysitters. And they, she had a couple kids older than me. And they were watching it one day on like a rainy day. So I stayed inside and I watched, you know, the first one, Star Wars. They had a VHS copy on it, and I was just instantly hooked from that point. So then it was, oh, we, we got to rent all these movies. They told me there was three of them, and so I was on my parents that we had to rent them. Um, at that point, uh, our local grocery store rented movies, but they did not have the Star Wars one. There was a Movies America, which went out of business probably ten years ago now. In Waverly, my, my hometown, that uh, you could go to rent them, but you had to be a member. And so there was like an annual fee there to join. And then I want to say, because they had so many like obscure movies and stuff, their rentals were like seven bucks, ten bucks a pop or something wow. like that. So uh, at least once a month, I would convince my parents to go rent all three movies <laughs> and we would watch them all weekend. So they were shopping 21 to 30 bucks, you know, once a month <laughs> just to watch star Wars. I was just an addict. And so, um, I would have been a little ahead of the curve there. Uh, that was, you know, a couple of years before star Wars really had the nineties resurgence. Mm-hmm. And then it became, you know, super popular. Um, kind of before that, I guess I didn't really have like a nerd or geek, um, thing in common with my classmates because uh, I inherited so much comic books, toys, and uh, things taped, like cartoons taped, like G.I. Joe and Transformers uh, mm-hmm. for my dad's younger brothers. That That's the stuff I always watched growing up, and we only had three channels out in the sticks where I lived, so um, just watched all those tapes. So I really kind of grew up on 80s stuff, so you know, I'd go to school and try to talk about Transformers or G.I. Joe, and people had no idea what the hell I was talking about. And so... Star Wars was really kind of my first nerd uh, attachment or geek thing that I had in common with my my peers. And so that kind of makes it a, a little bit more special, something I can latch on to. Sure. Yeah. But uh, so, you know, kind of when that started to resurge in the 90s and everybody was then, oh, Star Wars is so cool. It's kind of like, yeah, dude, I've liked that for two years. <laughs> but, um, wow, you were a hipster before that was yeah, a thing. Yeah, yeah. But uh so then, uh, you know, they released the the trilogy. They had the, you know, there's the epic uh, mm-hmm. commercials that had, you know, clips from all three movies and it was out on video one last time. And so my parents, sick of spending $20 at least once a month uh, to rent all three movies, bought me that then uh, for my birthday that year. So, nice. and uh, just been, been hooked ever since. So that's really kind of my Star Wars introduction there. I guess my folks must have been a little bit cheaper because like in the in the early 80s 
like HBO would occasionally have like a free weekend thing, like a promotional thing where they would like they would offer up the the channel like for free to try and entice people to get the program and like whenever they did that my dad would just record everything that was on and just we'd just have like these VHS tapes with like three different weird random movies together. Um, yeah, we it, did the same thing. Yeah. Then uh, we got DirecTV when I was like 10 or 11 years old, and mm-hmm. that was the same when we get the free – like right when we signed up, we got it for a month or two or three or something like that free, and we just taped shit off there all the time. Yeah, absolutely. And <laughs> then eventually they got to the point where I think my dad got two VCRs. And we could do the thing like the double deck where like if we were like rented a movie, we popped it in one mm. VCR and then we would record it on a blank VHS on the other one. So had a good thing going. Yeah. De- definitely weren't spending thirty dollars a month to watch the movies. But yeah. that's but but you know what, that's commitment and that shows that they loved you enough to, to indulge that. Yeah, and they actually uh had a I mean, they really enjoyed them. I think both my parents saw the, the movies in theaters when they mm-hmm. originally came out. And so um, they were also big Star Trek, the next generation fans. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it was stuff that was always on in our house. Um, I remember kind of when we got a gateway computer, remember when those were the thing? Mm-hmm. Came in a box uh, called like a Holstein cow. And uh, we had 96 Microsoft and Carta, I think, was. Uh, one of the you know free programs or discs that come with it, which was you know in Microsoft Encyclopedia, yep. and so it have multimedia in it, and they had the Obi Wan disabling the the tractor beam, and then mm-hmm. having the lightsaber battle with Darth Vader and Luke and Leia swinging across the bridge, and you know blasting the door. They had that like little three minute clip or whatever on there, and I would just watch that over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, we had our computer sitting in our living room, so I don't know how that didn't just drive my dad nuts while he's watching TV, but. They, uh, they always embraced it. So. so, all right. Well, let's uh, let's kind of segue into the point of this episode. And people, I hope you enjoy hearing Kyle on this show because if all goes well, he's going to be making semi-regular appearances when we start covering the Dark Horse comic series Tales of the Jedi, and that is going to start in an upcoming episode. But before we can really dive into our reviews of the ancient Jedi and Sith wars from the comics, we need to have a conversation about the Jedi and the Sith and what they mean to us. Now, back in episode 20, I did a My Star Wars segment talking about my problems with the Sith, specifically with how the concept had been handled since the late 90s, uh, how I think the oversaturation of that idea dilutes the coolness of Darth Vader, and how I wish the Sith had been more like the Empire's secret police, or assassins, and not just anti-Jedi. Well, Kyle has a response to my trouble with the Sith, and he'd like to share that, so... Go ahead, buddy. What is your take on the Sith? Okay. Well, first, I partially agree with uh, some of your oversaturation concerns. I think that's more on execution than concept. I actually really like your idea of kind of these uh, this SS uh, police force of, or assassins, kind of the ninja clan uh, that goes around and works for Darth Vader. That's a cool idea. Um, for me personally, I guess, kind of my early thoughts on the Sith – almost like they were a race of people or this kind of mysterious type of lineage. And um, I guess one of the the best parallels I can think of is another topic you and I talked about on your Secret Origins podcast, kind of the race of people like uh, Shadowlass and her cousin Grev. They're kind of this 
mm-hmm. magical barbaric race that you know had the shadow power passed down from them from their ancestors and you know and the ser- the tales of the jedi series that we're going to eventually um get to there was actually was a distinction between sith and then the fallen or dark jedi as they were called and they were not you know necessarily the same um sometimes they use those terms differently uh other times later in the series they start to become kind of ambiguous and swapped out for each other that just that definition kind of evolves throughout the series but uh i guess early on they weren't the same and my early i guess opinion or take on it uh was that they were definitely different as well um i guess another way to describe it is i i kind of viewed the sith almost like the stygian people from the conan stories they're kind of this race of dark evil you know in that case snake worshiping magicians uh-huh. or uh, priests with dark powers and so i've been a conan fan for as long as i can remember it's probably the first rated r movie i ever saw I, whenever that was on uh like if we'd go to my grandparents uh, at cable or whatever that'd be on late at night and my, i'd sit up and watch that with my dad <laughs> um i think my first rated r movie was the terminator so arnold that was definitely that was definitely probably in the the first five um uh, terminator and then uh Time Cop, John Claude Van Damme was <laughs> But uh, anyway, you know, that, that parallel kind of to like the, the Stygian people uh, was one that kind of stuck with me early on. And so, you know, in my young mind, I guess that's kind of the what was the, the definition or connotation of, of the term Sith. And, you know, that kind of still sticks with me today. Whereas the Dark Jedi, on the other hand, they were more akin to the modern or, I guess, prequel on or post-prequel. Uh, definition of the Sith. Some of them were kind of sort of Jedi. They were thoroughly trained in control and mastery of the Force. And then they essentially just said, screw it. I'm done with this. I'm looking out for numero uno, you know, for their various regions. So, you know, the the Jedi to me, I guess, are supposed to be more like samurai, you know, a group of dedicated, honor-bound warriors, mm-hmm. you know, live a life of selfless, or selflessness. And, you know, they use the for, Force for good to benefit others. The Dark Jedi, on the other hand, were just essentially, you know, corrupted by the power and they used it for selfish ends. And so I guess, you know, really the idea of this, you know, kind of master Jedi order that has a ruling presence, I don't, I'm not a big fan of that. You know, that's um, really what I would consider more a dark Jedi type of setup or more of a hierarchy they'd go for, kind of like the, a corrupt set up of like the Roman Catholic empire kind of around the time that Martin Luther posted his 95 thesis. I, I completely agree. I, that was one of, one of many issues that I had with the, uh, with the prequel and its depiction of the Jedi was that from everything that we heard from Obi-Wan and Yoda in those first movies, you really got the sense that the Jedi were more akin to what we would think of like Eastern philosophies and Eastern monks and we, you, yeah, you, like you said it, we sort of see them as, as samurai. And samurai were typically of their community. They were part of that. And they would rally together in times of war. And, and as we'll get to when we, when we do review the Tales of the Jedi comics, it, it kind of set up this idea of, you know, thousands of years ago, there would be a, a Jedi watchman who sort of secured a region getting back to another DC parallel, sort of a green lantern, basically. Yeah. Um, they would, they would have a beat or, and it might be several of them, but they would kind of, you know, th- this sector, this, this area of planets, 
there would be a Jedi representative for that area, and they would live there, and they would be part of that community so they could deal with the people, and they were responsible for that. But instead, when you see them all based in this monastic temple at the center of government and commerce, it's like, this is this is much more of a Western religious idea that has nothing to do with the teachings that we heard in the in the classic trilogy. Yeah, I mean, very much so. I mean, Obi-Wan and Yoda, you know, they're the only two we see. They're very much hermits that mm-hmm. Obi-Wan keeps an eye on Luke and, you know, comes to his aid and mm-hmm. fends off the sand people when needed to. You know, he's kind of just this a little bit... Uh, a little bit isolated, a little bit still involved in his community. I, I think the Green Lantern parallel is perfect. I mean, like I, I, ideally, you would have the correct or good Lantern setup, and really, you know, the the evil version of that would be how Sinistral, you know, mm-hmm. ruled his sector and his home planet, and that's exactly that would be a Dark Jedi type. Behavior in my mind, but that's how I, they had I the Jedi set up in the prequels. We, so. we saw some of that in, with uh, the character of Joris Sabaoth in the Thrawn trilogy. The clone dark, sort of dark Jedi basically lived on this planet and controlled every aspect of the people there because he thought it was his right because he had more power than them. Getting back to what you were saying with Obi Wan, like I, I always thought it was very significant that he was referred to as General Kenobi. Like, it was a big deal that he served and fought in the Clone Wars like that. Yes. But now, every Jedi was a general in the Clone Wars. Like, okay, that's just, like, another... It's just another name. It's just another title for the Jedi as they were depicted in the prequels and in the cartoon. That's that's another problem I I had with the prequels is... I'll get into this a little bit later. You know, mm-hmm. the the biggest thing is just the total tonal shift from the original trilogy, where you know the Jedi stuff is still very mysterious, mm-hmm. and it takes up a very—I mean, it's an integral part of the plot, but it's a very small part of the plot. I mean, we have a what maybe three-minute total screen time fight of Obi Wan and Darth Vader, mm-hmm. and there, you know, <laughs> Obi Wan talks about the Force with Luke, but. It's still kind of this mysterious thing. You have Han Solo is really kind of the voice of the audience, you know, being skeptical on it. We have the training sequence and fight with Darth Vader. That's really kind of the only force outside of the, you know, the Wampa cave. And what that's probably a total of 15 minutes in the second one. And then, you know, the, the mastermind overarching Sith Lord over this, which, as you pointed out, Sith is never mentioned in, in the original trilogy. But the Emperor, he doesn't even come into play until the third movie. Mm-hmm. And, you know, outside of that first intro on the second Death Star, we really don't see him until the last half an hour of the third movie. So, I mean, we're talking, he's in one-eighth of the movie. And he's <laughs> the integral part of the trilo- the prequel trilogy. Right. But because of that that shift, then, in the prequels, we never get, like, that Han Solo character to really latch onto. Right. We get nothing but Jedi and then clones, mm-hmm. and really the only main characters you have are Palpatine, Obi Wan, Anakin, and all the other characters are essentially pawns just there to. I mean, Natalie Portman, great actress. Her whole thing is just to give something for Anakin to whine over. I mean, she's nothing more than a prop in those movies. Was it you who pointed out like the the, the classic trilogy was called Star Wars? 
and the prequels should have been called Jedi Wars. Yes, that was me over on the, the on Fire and Water, the first geek um, episode they did on, on Star Wars stuff. I mean, the the main focus of the original ones were, you know, battles in space, mm-hmm. and kind of the knight in shining, shining armor was a small part of that. That completely changes to Jedi Wars in, in the prequel trilogy, and... I don't hate those movies. I still enjoy them. I still watch them. There's still, you know, things I get out of them. I mean, it's not a chore for me to watch them. I don't watch them near as often as I watch the originals, but uh, I still enjoy them. I think part of that comes from my exposure to the Tales of the Jedi series mm-hmm. that we'll, you know, eventually talk about. Just because the sole purpose of that was to explore, you know, the Jedi, flesh them out. That became the sole focus of that book. And so I guess I was primed leading up to the prequels for that, you know, um, tonal shift or focus, you know, to go from Star Wars to Jedi Wars. Whereas, you know, if you'd been a Star Wars fan since 1977 and for 30 years it was Star Wars with the Jedi being a small part of it, I can understand the the major problems you'd have walking out of the theater after all three of those movies. And I think for for a lot of people – uh, of that of that age and of that era, they might have preferred that the Jedi stayed mysterious. They might have preferred that we just we never got those answers that they weren't meant to be explored. And for that reason, I think I mean I've I've talked to some people who weren't fond of the tales of the Jedi comic for that reason that they just they had no interest in that because they didn't want these pages uncovered. And I get that. I mean I think it's the series acquits itself better by exploring enough good good avenues of the Jedi without without being the sort of prequel origin story that ruins everything. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, there are some missteps in the series, but for the most part, I mean, mm-hmm. they introduce enough new elements, and it's far enough removed um, from the, the timeline of the original trilogy. I mean, it's 4,000 years before the time of Luke Skywalker, so... Right. You know, there's enough breathing room there that mm-hmm. nothing they lay out in these books really necessarily has implications further on down the line. And so, you know, they open up a new enough new avenues that they can kind of introduce some mystery more around there, and they kind of explore those avenues more than instead of fleshing out the Force. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it's definitely Force-shifted, and, you know, they do, you know, add more details, flesh that out a little bit. But I think there's enough new mysteries that are self-contained within the book that they introduce that it doesn't it doesn't have near as much baggage with it as the prequels do for trying to do the same thing in a different direction, you know, only 40 years before uh, the first Star Wars movie. Right. And also, Ed, as you pointed out, like this series, this was the niche book that was dedicated to the Jedi. This was about that. It was in the title. Yes. So it, it wasn't advertising itself as what the whole galaxy is about, what it wasn't trying to encompass the life of a smuggler and the life of a young rebel princess and all of these disparate groups of characters coming together to make this cataclysmic change in the galaxy. No, this was just about one specific set of that world that they were going to flesh out, just like X-Wing Rogue Squadron was one specific set of that world that they were going to flesh out, and they were completely different. 
something. Yeah, Dark Horse really did a good job of diversifying the books in kind of the eras they explored when they got the Star Wars license. I think so the, too. Yeah. I, they had the you know the X, or the uh, X Wing Rogue Squadron, like you mentioned. Mm-hmm. You know, they had the Dark Empire books, which were post Jedi. They had these that were very very early, or you know, mm-hmm. thousands of years before uh, the first Star Wars movie. They you know were doing adaptions of stuff that happened in between the Star Wars movies, like Splinter of the Mind's Eye, mm-hmm. and so. Mm-hmm. You know, they were still capturing that classic Star Wars feel, and this was very much a they were also a independent take uh, yeah. on that. They were published at a time when we just there there wasn't any indication that we would ever get more Star Wars movies. Yeah, very much. So, so. it was like like all you had were those those three movies, and after that, if you thought if you thought the Emperor's Royal Guard looked badass but didn't do anything. Well, maybe you wanted to see a story of the Emperor's Royal Guard doing something badass. And that's why Dark Horse did a story like Crimson Empire. Yep. Now, whether that story was good or not, well, that could be debated later on. But I, at least, I mean, I think they had the freedom to explore and uncover these things because nobody else was going to. And then Lucas seemed to kind of do an about face and he said, okay, I am going back to this world and I am going to sort of pick up and and play with this universe and what he was doing in those movies contradicted so much of the material that had come out and it's fine if he did that because he the his movies did not have to be beholden to the expanded universe that would be unfair to expect movie going audiences to understand everything that came out in the books and the comics over the last 20 years i get that but I, I would have been able to digest that change if I liked what I was getting from those movies, and I didn't. So, yeah, I and I didn't like that the comics and books then conformed and changed their rules to better reflect the movies. Again, I understood that decision. I just didn't like it because I didn't like the changes and the retcons. Before I found this series, I, I had gotten this essential guide to Star Wars characters that came out in 1995. Mm-hmm. I probably got it the year it came out, mm-hmm. and it's loaded with you know so many expanded universe characters, characters from the Dark Horse comics like these Tales of Jedi. Mm-hmm. That uh, you know, I was just fascinated by these, and uh, you know, who are all these characters? What there's other stuff out there besides those three movies? This guy never showed up. <laughs> what is this picture from? Type stuff that you know, my mind was just exploding of what's all out there. I guess uh, really kind of how I discovered the Star Wars expanded universe. I mean, I would I would see the occasional novel. Um, I started picking up you know comics whenever I'd come across them. If I went to the grocery store with my mom and I didn't wander off and was good, sometimes I could uh, convince her to pick me up some comics there. Uh, otherwise, it was just uh, picking up comics at garage sales. Um, these Dark Horse comics, you know, had like two dollar and fifty cent price tags in you know. 1993 or whatever so i mean that was pretty steep back then mm-hmm. and uh i mean they're just gorgeous books especially with the dave dorman painted covers oh, but yeah. you know i i couldn't always uh convince that so i wasn't really aware of all the expanded universe stuff that was out there really until the special edition movies mm-hmm. so um the town i live closest to uh, our theater was closed at that time. Um, it had been flooded a couple of years before, and so uh, new owners had bought it and were in the middle of remodeling it. And so the closest theater we had uh, that aired the special edition movies was about 35, 40 miles away. I could just pick one, and so my favorite movie being The Empire Strikes Back, that was the one I got to go see in the theater. And so 
we went, it was like a 10 o'clock showing and you know, that movie wasn't short. So, uh, we, as a family went, uh, including my sister who's three years younger than me, she fell asleep, which how with the surround sound system that was in that theater, I don't know how that was possible with the, you know, star destroyers rumbling uh, on screen. But, uh, when we went to the movie, there was, and I, it just pains me. I, I can't find it. I don't know what it is, but it was a, we got some sort of catalog we went to the movie and bought our ticket for free, and it was just loaded with Star Wars stuff. I mean, it had pictures of standees, you know, props, all the comic books, action figures. And so I started looking through these, and I was just like, oh, my God, you know, what are all these comic books that are in here? And uh, there were four covers that stuck out to me in that. And one was Star Wars Droids number three, which shows, like, a very pissed-off-looking C-3PO holding an assault rifle pointed, mm-hmm. like, at the reader. Uh, the other one was the uh, cover to the Dark Empire trade paperback, which has Luke in the all-black. Yeah. Basically just, wearing Vader's costume yes. without the helmet. And then uh, Tales of the Jedi, The Golden Age of the Sith, number zero, which uh, had kind of this alien in like a karate-type pose. Mm-hmm. He had very ancient Egyptian-type uh, kind of jewelry on him. Mm-hmm. And then you see two people that really kind of give you this regal again ancient egyptian vibe remind me of something out of uh, the ten commandments movie yeah so that really kind of helped um cement my early you know connotation or conception of what the sith were is there it is sith on the cover Ooh, what's Sith? that sounds cool and you see kind of this ancient you know stygian or egyptian kind of civilized but dark uh, barbaric vibe uh, you get from it and then the last one that really stuck out in my mind is just etched in my brain whenever i hear tales of the jedi this is the first image that pops in my head is the tales of the jedi dark lords of the sith number two cover which has like this uh warrior it's kind of got like a staff with a blade on it mm-hmm. it's got an eye patch and a helmet kind of yelling battle cry and right. that just added that barbaric uh, tribal you know sith connotation into there and so i guess when i first started to hear clone wars uh, coming i kind of formed what i thought that would be in my brain and that was that you know these uh, warriors like on the on the cover of dark lords of the sith number two were clones created by the egyptian looking sith lords uh, to do their bidding and wage their war and then uh, that was kind of over top of kind of the plot structure a little bit of john burns uh, world of krypton mm-hmm which I think if you blended those three elements would have been a hell of a lot sweeter than what we got. But <laughs> And so uh, God, it just kills me. I don't know what that magazine or catalog was. I've tried to track down every like Star Wars magazine from 1997. Hmm. And, you know, all these covers of these magazines that pop up, it's like, oh, that looks familiar. That's got to be it. And, you know, so many of those images were used on other stuff that I'm starting to wonder because it almost seemed like a catalog from what I remember, like there being like ads and stuff in it that I wonder if it was like a star wares catalog. Oh, so if anybody out there in listener land knows what that is, please, please let me know because I want to track this thing down because I think I probably just flipped through it and just, you know, gawked over the pages until the damn thing fell apart and I have no idea what happened to it. And so that haunts me. There's nights I I lay awake in bed, think wondering what that catalog was. Um, but that that uh, really kind of primed uh, me for I, I got to track these series down, and so that would have been February of 1997 when I saw that, and that was the sweetest movie theater experience I've ever had. I 
nothing will ever top that. I was just, by the time that movie got over, it was like one o'clock and I was just amped up. I mean, I would have been not quite 10 yet. Then, you know, I, I was so excited. I, I had to find these series. And then, you know, just a couple months later, I came across a garage sale and picked up almost all the ones that had been out at that point. And I just dove into them and, you know, had a love for that series ever since then. So was it like, was it like an official magazine? Did it feel like a, like an exclusive giveaway at the theater? Like, was that that's something I, that might've been in stores? That's what I wonder. Cause I, I mean, it was thick. Mm. And so I wonder if it was like a catalog, you probably wouldn't have to pay for the catalog. They'd probably give it to you if they wanted you to order stuff on it. Mm-hmm. But I'm thinking if it wasn't a catalog, you know, if it wasn't something like a Star Wars, as thick as it was, it would have to have had a fairly hefty price tag, which I'm just wondering. This was, They showed the movie on this special new, like, ultra screen, and so mm-hmm. the tickets were more expensive. My parents had to buy four of them already. Right. I don't know if they would have sprung for that catalog <laughs> if it cost something. So, right. um, But I definitely got it at the movie because I remember sitting there, you know, you're waiting for the, the ads and the, before it starts the prequels or the previews, and yeah, so you yeah. got the kind of – the dimmed lights on and I was, you know, just tearing through that thing while we were waiting for it. Just getting more, more and more excited waiting for the movie to come on. <laughs> but I, I tried like uh, posting it in the, the two true freaks and I can't get anybody that knows what I'm talking about. So maybe a listener will be able to find it here. Yeah. So. Let's, uh, let's go back and kind of think about the Sith as depicted in the movies. Okay, I have a ton to say about that. Okay, well then, yeah, actually, you know what, go ahead. Well, first off, you know, actually, I... Can I pause for, like, 30 seconds? Sure can. I need to go into the other room and grab some. I'm not going to disconnect this call. I'm just going to okay. like, put the mic down. i got to go into the other room, because there's, there's a book that I want to reference, and I think I left it in another room. Okay. So, but, so hang on a second, I'll be back. If you don't hear back from me in a minute, then... I don't know, hang up, call the police, just go about your day. Okay. <laughs> but, uh, I'll be back in a second. All right, thanks for waiting. Yep, no problem. <sighs> There's this old like encyclopedia thing that I got years ago called a guide to the star Wars universe expanded second edition. And it's just an encyclopedia of all like star Wars terms and everything. And my copy is beaten to crap, hmm. but this came out in, what was this? This was published in 1994. Ooh, okay. So I'm actually, Del Rey published it. yeah. And I'm trying to see what it says about the Sith in this, because this would have been really early. Hmm. And I'll have to have you send me a picture of that cover. I will. I will definitely. Uh, the one I have sitting here is the essential guide to the characters. I know there was one to like vehicles and stuff too. And I wonder that was the only other one I knew that was out there. And I think it's got planets and stuff on it too. And so I wonder if it was a, a trilogy of books and that's the first one that you have there. Okay. All right. So, I tracked down this book, the A Guide to the Star Wars Universe, and I'm going to post a picture of this. Uh, I had to go back because this was one of the first times that I saw the Sith as depicted, as named. And according to this version, this is what it says about the Sith. I'm going to read its entire entry. The mysterious and as yet unrevealed group called the Sith causes great fear in those who know of them. 
They are sometimes called Dark Lords of the Sith, and Darth Vader has been identified as one of their number. That's it. That's it. Wow. <laughs> that was what Lucasfilm had officially released about the Sith, according to A Guide to the Star Wars Universe 2nd Edition, edited by Bill Slavicic. Slavicic? I'm not sure how you pronounce that. I, I, did, I dug up this book a couple months ago, and I want to do a regular thing where like every I'm going to end every episode of the podcast with just a random kind of reading of an entry from this. Hmm. Um, because it's it's mostly the movies, like the original Han Solo and Lando Calrissian book trilogy, Timothy Zahn's first trilogy of novels, and Dark Empire. It's hardly anything other than that. Hmm. Um, so it's it's kind of funny to compare yeah. what this book has to say about Wedge Antilles versus what the Wikipedia has yeah. if you go online. So anyway, you were going to get into um, the it's Sith cool. as they are depicted in the movies. Yeah. So, go okay. ahead. All right. Well, kind of building on the kind of the idea of the uh, corrupt Roman Catholic Empire around the time uh, Martin Luther posted his 95 thesis, you know, I would think that would have been more of a, you know, dark, corrupt, using their power, uh, inappropriate. That would have been more of a ruling chain for like a, a dark Jedi. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, they had dominion over stuff. They were doing some shady things. Now, how Lucas uses that set up in the prequels is that's the Jedi, you know, the Jedi order. And so whether that was his, you know, full intention for, you know, the force balancing itself out, you know, with Anakin falling to the dark side or not, uh, I can't really say, you know, there's kind of elements of that in there, but like a lot of things in the prequels, that concept or idea is never really fully realized. He puts a bunch of spread out, pieces of bread, but never really connects the whole loaf. Um, And, you know, for someone who's not particularly a subtle storyteller to not really fully connect the dots, uh, didn't pan out too well for him uh, in the prequels. And, you know, you kind of have that element of Palpatine, you know, just gaining so much power and the Jedi were, you know, completely oblivious to it. You know, the force is balancing itself out is kind of what they use. But again, that's never, taken from A to B in a clear, concise way, so it's kind of uh, muddled a bit. But uh, one thing I would have liked to see done that would have drastically changed um, my thoughts on the the last half, the the second movie, and then the the full third movie, is, um, you know, you have Count Dooku in Attack of the Clones, and he has his whole little, you know, join me, Obi-Wan speech, and tells Obi-Wan how, you know, Sith Lord runs the Senate, and that if Obi-Wan joins him, he can stop it. You know, that part is actually true, what Dooku claims, but we're not really sure what his intentions are at that point. You know, we have to wait mm-hmm. um, to kind of find that out. And, you know, I would have been, it would have been more interesting to me if they would have explored that a little bit, flushed it out, and taken it in a completely different, you know, direction. Um, in the first movie, you know, they had Qui Gon, he was sort of unhappy with the Jedi Council. And that's not touched on a whole lot. It's never really full, uh, you know, fully realized or explored why he feels that way. But we know that Dooku was his former master. And so mm-hmm. it would make sense that they both possibly felt that way. So, you know, maybe Dooku feels that, you know, he sees the Jedi Order as corrupt. They're acting more like Dark Jedi. He goes off, leaves the Jedi Order, knows something isn't right. He starts investigating. And because, you know, uh, he hasn't become power hungry or corrupt like the Jedi Council, He's maybe more attuned to the Force. He realizes what's going on. You know, he starts sniffing around and 
starts to flush Palpatine out. And, uh, you know, he says, okay, this dude is the Sith Lord. I need to get close to him. I need to go undercover and join the Sith. And, you know, if I learn their ways, then I can fully destroy them from within, you know, kind of like what Luke does in Dark Empire. Mm -hmm. And, of course, you know, like every Jedi before him and after him, once he taps into that power and he, you know, so to speak, tastes the forbidden fruit, he becomes lost forever. And... I think that would have been cool if that would have been the route they went. And so you have that both sides are bad there, the Sith. And say Palpatine is an actual Sith person. You know, mm-hmm. still have them distinct. The Jedi Order are actually dark Jedi. And Dooku's trying to be in the middle to stop both. And eventually, you know, he succumbs fully to the dark side, becomes the, the thing he was trying to destroy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like he... It, it have a very, uh, you know, XR Kuhn... Mm-hmm. fall and tales of the jedi type vibe yeah and but you know they could execute it differently and so one of the the problems and thing you touched on is how it's become kind of watered down and less special and i think that's solely on execution i think that an interesting way to look at it i think would be that if they almost treated as far as you know movie canon wise if they were going to show multiple jedis falling why not follow like the seven deadly sins as a huge captain Marvel fan. That's mm-hmm. something that appeals to me, <laughs> but you know, each one, um, falling to the dark side for different purposes. Right. And then you have say Anakin's fall actually have that kind of be, uh, almost, you know, not fall in line with those seven deadly sins. It's actually out of a more pure reason. It's out of love. Mm-hmm. Like uh, Sam Elliott says in the first Ghost Rider movie, a man that sells his soul for the power of love has got the power to change the world, or something along that line. So, no, you know, eat beef for dinner, Sam Elliott. But uh, obviously, love plays a, a huge factor throughout the movies. I mean, the Han Solo Leia love story uh, in the last two movies. But um, I mean, as far as Anakin fell. For Darth Vader really to have the reversal at, at the end of Return of the Jedi that can only be out of love. And mm-hmm. since, um, you know, Lucas obviously played with the love infatuation in the prequels, but it was much more obsession-based than truly right. love. Um, I guess, I don't, I think that's kind of what he was still going for, but he just pulled it off horribly. I totally agree. I I definitely see that, and I I like the idea of Anakin's fall having a little bit to do with wanting, above all else, to protect the people that he loved and to save those lives, and and he would take the power. I just it just wasn't made clear how Palpatine was going to give him that power or what exactly his his game was it was just so so muddled um well going- and that's that too is i mean he never really focused nothing made anakin special Th- this is why I, ha- I hate the rule too because to be a jedi you have to be selfless right mm-hmm. i mean think of how many say dc universe think of how many superheroes there are and each one of them has multiple super villains right Right, because it's a lot easier to be a bad guy. There should always be more corrupt people that are force attuned than right people, people that walk the path of righteousness, because that's the that's the harder path. Right. So there should be a hell of a lot less Jedi than there should be fallen Jedi or Sith people around. Mm-hmm. Because being righteous, being a true Jedi, 
is the special thing, not being powerful and abusing that power. Right. It's harder to be a Jedi than to be exactly. a Sith. Exactly. And so um, I think being a Jedi should be more special than being one of the two Sith wandering around the universe. Um, that's, that's one aspect that particularly that I really like in the Tales of the Jedi is there's always these corrupt, there's varying levels of corruptness in the people they encounter. There's some that are just purely selfish and they use their force powers, you know, to steal stuff, to amass riches. That's other people that rule people with them. There's other people that are just outright evil and there's other people that just use it to, you know, eke out an existence, but they just use their powers for selfish gains, but it's just to stay alive. Um, Oh, where was I going with all that? But uh, no, oh, I, but but with Anakin, they don't focus it. They show you know uh, aspects throughout the movies where he's just a psycho, raging, hormonal maniac. There's times he's talking about how he should be the most powerful Jedi of all, so he's power hungry. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, he's just a totally unbalanced, evil dude at times, and so that definitely makes his fall less special. Right. He isn't uh, you know this person that out of love made this terrible decision he was a person that was headed down that path one way or another mm-hmm. there was no line between a dark or fallen jedi and a sith it was like okay there there have got to be jedi who have embraced the dark side or who have succumbed and have fallen but have never embrace like the sort of practices of the Sith unless Sith literally means dark Jedi. And we don't get that distinction. We don't get that made clear in the movies. I agree. And I, I think they should be totally different. Uh, that's, uh, I mean, again, the kind of corrupt or selfish warrior mm-hmm. versus the Sith always gave me that mysterious kind of back for lack of a better term almost pagan sorceress or priestess mm-hmm. type thing in tales of the jedi there was seemed to be a good distinction and then we don't get that in the prequels no because it's just it's it's whoever is evil is branded a sith and again going back to the original in the movies we never heard that word the sith but i never got the the impression that if luke killed darth vader and replaced him I never once thought that would make him a dark lord of the Sith, like that he would just sort of inherit that. Like I was like, like, like we didn't even know that the the Emperor was a Sith or anything to do. Like I, I thought that that was just an honorific that was that applied to Vader, not to every bad guy. Yeah, has the Force. Yeah, and much more in line like that. I mean, you never see Palpatine wield you know a lightsaber in the original trilogy. Mm-hmm. I guess that that idea of Sith was very much that he was a Sith. He's kind of this weird old creepy priest dude that could throw force lightning at you. Mm-hmm. Which, that would be more of a Sith instead of a this Jedi great Jedi warrior that decided he, you know, maybe wanted a, a shortcut to not necessarily the, the the dark power of, you know, like the the necromancer mm-hmm. type powers that Palpatine hints at in the prequels, but more of the just the raw power almost like uh taking force steroids. <laughs> by going to the dark side, wants to hit more force home runs <laughs> than, you know, be on a full-on <laughs> psycho evil dude. But <laughs> Getting back to your your idea of what might have saved like the story, and Dooku in particular, it, you can sort of see the ghost of what he was going for in Attack of the Clones, but it just it wasn't pulled off. And I really liked your idea that Dooku might have been the one rational Jedi in the system that had just gotten so bloated 
and stagnant that it couldn't see the corruption at its core. And what if Dooku was the one guy who had to go rogue in order to prove that that there was something wrong with this and that like other Jedi were dispatched to go after him to hunt him down because they thought he was a threat because they thought he had succumbed to the dark side. But what if, what if really he was the good guy that he was the hero and I would take it a step further and make uh, like, I would apply that, that sort of story that we see in a lot of the books and comics of the Jedi who infiltrates the Sith in order to bring it down from the inside. I wouldn't have made that Dooku. I would have made that Anakin's story. No, that would have been a good one. And, and yeah. maybe, maybe Anakin abandons Obi Wan and joins up with Dooku, and like, and and they're together for a time or something. Or, or I, I don't know. There were just there. Oh, there were just so many better ways that yeah, that story could have been handled. But yeah, I do. I, you you said there was nothing particularly special about Anakin in those movies, and I completely agree. We are told constantly that he is special. And we're never shown why that is. No, I mean, we get short glimpses of that, oh, he might be more powerful than other Jedi. We never really, honestly, in my opinion, we never see him eclipse Obi-Wan's level, I don't think. Mm -mm. I mean, Obi-Wan kicks his ass in the end, and he doesn't have any of the things that should truly make a Jedi special, like the the self-control, you know, the pure selflessness. I mean... He is a powerful, but not the most powerful force wielder we see on screen with none of the self-control or characteristics that make a Jedi good. Mm. You know, having read all the tales of the Jedi, he's just one of many to follow the dark. I mean, he's a dime a dozen. Any other thoughts? Um... It it has many problems. I do still enjoy them. Um, I think part of that, um, there is, like we talked earlier, um, there is... Obviously, a huge tonal shift or focus shift from Star Wars to Jedi Wars mm-hmm. in the prequels. Um, having been such a big fan of the Tales of the Jedi series and devouring that in the summer of '97, that which at that point, you know, I would have been a Star Wars fan for five or six years probably, and so you know, still very young in my Star Wars fan knowledge or base so very still impressionable uh, my take on star wars was still very malleable mm-hmm. and so having been primed for that change uh, to focus with the tales of the jedi series i think i was more receptive to you know not having a a han solo character to latch on to only having a handful of jedi being the, the main focus and everybody else just being props in the background mm-hmm. um i guess i was more receptive to that maybe more forgiving of that but i can definitely understand a lot of people's just outright issues with the tales of the Jedi. I think if I hadn't been primed for that and then had all the other issues that, you know, we've addressed, I definitely would be uh, less forgiving of them. I think that's a good place to end this one. Where can people find you online if they want to hear more about you? Oh, uh, you can go to King size comics, giant size fun. That's all one word. King size comics, giant size fun blogspot.com. There I have uh, four, uh, podcasts that all drop on the same feed. Uh, that blog is kind of the the home base for that. Uh, and I'm also on iTunes. If you search for King Size Comics, Giant Size Fun, all four of my podcasts are there. I talk about free comics, oversized comics, just random comic stuff and TV shows, and uh, the Crisis on Multiple Earth crossovers from the pre-Crisis DC universe. 
And you can also find me along with you at the uh, G.I. Joe Real American Headcast, uh, part of the Head Speaks network of podcasts, where we uh, join our pal Aaron Moss to talk about how awesome the 1980s uh, G.I. Joe series is. Well, thank you very much for being part of this episode of Dead Bath and Spies. Uh, Kyle, we will definitely have you back in the near future. That's all for this episode. I hope you enjoyed my talk with Kyle Benning. And as you heard at the beginning of this episode, Star Wars The Force Awakens is now less than four months away. I've got a ton of stuff planned for upcoming episodes of this show, just as long as I can make the time to get them recorded and edited. But you can definitely expect to hear the first part of our coverage of Tales of the Jedi in a couple weeks. If you enjoyed this show, you can leave feedback at the blog page at deadboffinspies.blogspot.com or the Facebook page at facebook.com backslash deadboffinspies. You can also leave a review of the show on iTunes, and you can track me down on Twitter at ryandaily01 or the username CountDrunkula. Dead Bath and Spies is not affiliated with Lucasfilm or Walt Disney Company, and the views expressed on this show belong solely to the speaker. All music and audio clips are used for entertainment purposes and are believed covered under fair use, and I make no money off this podcast, so no copyright infringement is intended. Thanks for listening, and until next time, if any of you can track down or identify the magazine or catalog that Kyle was talking about, let us know. That would be awesome. Today's selection from A Guide to the Star Wars Universe. Alluvial Damper. A subsystem of a starship's hyperdrive unit, an alluvial damper blocks the emission of ion particles by moving a servo-controlled plate, thus regulating the amount of thrust. Source, The Empire Strikes Back.